0: Hello and welcome to the next in my series studies in John's Gospel. When I was uh, thinking about what I would be doing this week and I'd finished the previous study, I had intended to go on to the next passage. However, this verse at the end of the last study has really struck me because something uh, that I hadn't really thought about occurred in my mind as I looked at it and I want to try and explore that with you because for me it's quite a significant thing. Now, Church leaders, when they get together, invariably will talk about the problems they have with worship. Worship is something that Christians have a view on that is often quite far removed from how Christian leaders see things. It's an idea and a word that perhaps we've got slightly out of sync. In this passage, in this verse, John Uh, 9 and verse 38 it says the man worshipped jesus now the band didn't strike up he didn't start singing so what was he doing because when we think about worship we think about singing but the implication really from this verse is that he wasn't singing at all so what was going on well that's what i want to try and explore and see if that affects how we perceive worship And what we consider is and isn't worship. The story in the context, if you've been with us over the last few studies, is John chapter 9. There's a man who is born blind and uh, he encounters Jesus. And uh, we explored in that encounter with Jesus that when we that we try and ask the question in moments of difficulty, not why, but what now? How might God use the difficult parts of our life? And we did a number of studies that looked into that. And then in the last study, we looked at how that created resentment in others. And we talked about how we deal with opposition Uh, Jesus heard then, and this is where we, I, I did talk about this at the end of the last study, but I want to go back to it because it really struck me. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found them, in other words, Jesus has heard that the man had been persecuted, the man who had been healed by Jesus. He'd been thrown out of the synagogue and he'd been ridiculed. They'd hurled insults at him. And Jesus goes to seek him out. He goes to look for him. And we talked in our, at the end of our last time about how Jesus seeks out those who are persecuted. And he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man is this messianic title from the book of Daniel. So Jesus is really saying to uh, to the man, do you believe that the Messiah has healed you? Or do you believe that the Messiah is with you? Now, remember, he had been blind and then he'd gone away to wash. So he wouldn't necessarily have known that this person speaking to him was the one who had healed him. Might have recognized his voice, but remember, he didn't get his sight until he went away and did what Jesus had told him to do, which was to go and wash, and then he was healed. And Jesus wasn't with him at that moment. So it's natural then that he says, Who is he? Who is the Messiah? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And this is the verse I want to unpack. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Three things I want to draw your attention to. Firstly, the word use of the word Lord. Now, Lord uh, could have meant three different things. Firstly, he could simply have been saying, sir. could have been a uh, a uh, 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 a way of showing respect. He's saying, sir. In other words, he was saying to Jesus, uh, you're an important person. You're someone I value. But we um, realise from the context that the man is saying more than sir because he's now talking about him being the Messiah. He says, I believe. So the second meaning of the word Lord is to be master, master. In other words, to be the one who we obey. So the man is titling Jesus as someone he respects and he values, but he's also saying, you are my Lord. You are the one who I will obey, and you're the one to whom I serve. And we could leave it there, but the context tells us that that the man meant something even more remarkable than that. Because it says he worshipped him. Now the word literally means to prostrate, and that's certainly what we imagined was going on, that he fell on his knees. He may have fallen flat on his face, but he certainly fell on his knees. Now the understanding then and now was that you only worship God. That's one of the commandments, you shall worship no other God but me. And he's a a man. And by worshiping Jesus, he is taking the word Lord to mean God, Yahweh. And this is remarkable. This is unheard of. This is blasphemous if Jesus is not God. And the fact that, as we discover this on a number of other occasions where this happens, that Jesus doesn't stop people worshipping him it is him sort of impl- implicitly saying, Yes, I am God. But what is the man saying by saying Lord, meaning God? He's saying, I not only respect, not only value, not only will I obey you, not only will I serve you, but I trust you as the one who knows everything. You are my creator. You are the sustainer of my life. You are the one who not only will I serve, perhaps like an earthly master, out of fear or slavery, but I serve you out of love because you are God. And so by worshiping him, he's giving this word Lord the meaning that he's devoted to him that he places Jesus above all else. He says, Lord, I believe. What is it that he is believing? Well, again, the context is he's in the first instance saying, yes, I believe you're the one who healed me. But also because he was asked whether he believes in the Son of Man, he's saying, yes, I believe you, Jesus, are the Messiah. And that the Messiah and their understanding was the one who had come to save them. So he's saying, yes, I believe you are my savior. But he shouldn't worship him because that's only what you do to God. So when we read that he worshiped him, he is saying, I believe that you are God in human form. You are the Jesus God. You are God amongst me. You are my God. Thomas says that later. He says, my Lord and my God. So this man who has been healed by Jesus is showing a remarkable transformation because it says he worshipped him. And I skipped over that phrase when I was planning out the studies I would do. I didn't really draw attention to it. But it's a remarkable moment. He undoubtedly fell on his knees. What did he do? Did he sing? What was he doing when he fell before him? And how might that apply to what we mean when we talk about worshiping God, if it wasn't a song, if it wasn't joining in with the congregation singing, what was He doing? What is worship? I want to suggest three things. The first thing that Jesus, uh, sorry, that the man was doing towards Jesus was he was offering thanksgiving. He had a recognition that, this, that that which was good in his life had come from God. And he was giving thanks to Jesus for providing and giving him goodness. He was saying, You are the one who has healed me, and I'm grateful and I'm thankful. So undoubtedly, as he fell on his knees, his words would have been one in one part of gratitude. Now, he'd just been persecuted. He'd just been thrown out of the synagogue. So he was saying that his gratitude outweighed the negative things and the other concerns. So for us to worship God is to recognize, acknowledge, And be grateful for the good in our life that has come from God, and to declare that that is worth more than the difficulty in our lives. And so he was saying to Jesus, Thank you. That's almost a certain part of what was going on. He was saying, Thank you, even though it had meant persecution. And the fact that John tells us this was happening was telling us, therefore, that this was a public thing. He was publicly saying, I am grateful to God for what has gone on in my life. Now, we use songs to do that. They voice and express our praise, but worship is more than the songs because it's what's going on in our heart of saying, God, thank you. And it may not be done together with others. It may be done on our own, quietly with God, of just saying, I'm so grateful for your love, for your care, for your goodness, for the answers to prayer, for all the things we talked about a few studies ago when we talked about our story and what God had done. And it's saying to God, I am so grateful that these things far outweigh the difficulties. So that's the first thing that's going on with worship it's Thanksgiving. And I think the danger is that we stop there. But I think that it's pretty clear in what is in, um, understood by this word that this man was doing more than that. There's a quote from William Temple that I want to read to you. William Temple was a former Archbishop of Canterbury, he's a very quotable guy. He says this worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness. It is the nourishment of mind with his truth. It is the purifying of imagination by his beauty. It is the opening of the heart to his love. It is the surrender of will to his purpose. It is, and all of this is gathered up in adoration. In other words, he's saying, look, yes, it starts with that thanksgiving, that adoration, that thank you. That, but it goes beyond that into this concept of surrender, of submission, of saying to God, you are greater than me. So I kneel before you and I trust you. All of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. And this is all William Temple's quote. And therefore, the chief remedy for all that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all our actual sin. So I want to suggest to you that when John tells us that this man was worshipping him, What this man was doing was submitting himself before Jesus. He was kneeling. He was prostrate. He fell to the floor in front of him. And he was expressing awe. He was expressing, you, Jesus, are way beyond me. You are way superior to me. You are way greater than me. You know more than me. You have more power than me. He was acknowledging his superior wisdom. He was saying, your ways are best because you are God and I worship you. And implicit it seems to be in the way worship is described in the Bible, that it's a sense of of surrendering to God and saying, your way is my way your way is best. And of acknowledging his power and therefore our dependence on him and saying, I can't do this without you. Here I am. I bow before you and I say, I'm yours. And acknowledging that he has superior plans and purposes for our lives, that his will for us is the best. He is submitting to God. And that his, his, this idea is that he isn't just saying thank you. He's saying, here I am. You are greater than me. And the third aspect of this is that not only is he being thankful and, and of submitting, bowing before him, but he is offering his devotion. And that seems to be clear in the way the commandment says, you shall worship no other God. It doesn't mean you can't be thankful to anything else, but it means you must submit to no one else and you must not serve anyone else. So as he worships Jesus, as he bows before him, perhaps he kissed his feet, perhaps uh, he uh, wept. He undoubtedly was with his whole body offering himself to say, here I am to do what you would have me do. And there is an element of sacrifice. The concept in the the Old Testament, this word worship was to bow before and to offer sacrifice, was to say, here it is costly for me to follow you, but I love you and I want to do this. And so for this man, he was saying in this, just this three little word, he worshipped him, he was saying, Here's my love, here's my submission, and here is my commitment, whatever that costs. That's worship. And that's what Jesus invites us to choose to do, to say, Lord, you are my God and I worship you. That's what we want to encourage each other in the coming weeks, as we hope to be able to rejoin worshiping together. But it's something that we need to recognize it isn't the music, it isn't the song, it's the heart. And we can inspire each other to do that. But we c- it can only come when it's a choice that we've made on our own. So, our questions for reflection. Does the goodness of God outweigh our complaints? Do we fall on our knees in thanksgiving? Or do we complain about what hasn't happened? And to help us do that, what about God do we need to remind ourselves? What is it that he has done and that is good? His salvation, his resurrection power, the hope, the peace, the strength the direction, the guidance, the wisdom, all the things we talked about in our story, how much do we need to, to let them permeate into us that we say all of those things are better and outweigh the dif- disappointment such that we fall before you and we say, thank you, God. We praise you. And the second question is, where do we need to submit to God? and say, here's my life. I'm offering myself to obey you, to trust you, to follow you, to serve you, to join in with you. And what might be stopping us? What is it that maybe stops us falling on our knees before God and saying, I love you and I'm here for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are worthy of worship, that when we trust our lives to you, that that is the best and safest place for our lives to be, that when we say to you, here's my life, Lord, use it, that our life will will be enriched and we will never regret that. Lord, we come to you to worship, to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to you. Use us for your glory, our God and our King. Help us, guide us to see your goodness and to trust you in the difficult times. For your glory we pray. Amen.